Welcome to Europe Speaks, a TEPSA podcast channel where we explore everything to do with the European Union, history, current affairs and the future of Europe. This week, here's another DICE webinar where we've gathered the world's leading experts on differentiated European integration. In this episode, Sandra Kroger, a senior lecturer at the University of Exeter, discusses the main risks and benefits of differentiated European integration. Hello and welcome to the STIES webinar. My name is Sandra Kröger and I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Exeter. In this webinar, I'm going to talk about the benefits and the risks of differentiated integration. The main point that I would like you to take away from this webinar is that the eye is very much a double-edged sword. The eye has been welcomed as a way for European integration to progress in a context of greater heterogeneity and growing contestation, commonly we refer to as Euroscepticism, in many member states. Now, the eye refers to the idea that certain laws and policies are not uniformly applied across all member states, and that some non-member states like Switzerland or Norway may selectively participate in EU policies. So it serves a dual process or a dual aim, that of reconciling heterogeneity, economic, social, cultural heterogeneity on the one hand, but also that of accommodating the political disagreements about how much integration is desirable that exists between member states. However, whilst the eye has a lot of benefits to it, it also has uh, potential risks and disadvantages to it. And so the eye indeed very much resembles a double-edged sword. Now, what are the potential benefits of the eye? Well, there are a number, and I begin with those that relate to the efficient functioning of the EU. The eye, for one, provides a way of reconciling the desire of some countries to integrate further with the possibilities of others to be exempted from integration if they feel unable because of a lack of capacity or unwilling because of different preferences to integrate. So it works as a pragmatic compromise and facilitates further integration for those who want to move ahead when integrating together is not an option. In that sense, it can also act as a veto buster by creating a centripetal dynamic uh, uh, that can eventually bring those that are initially reluctant to integrate back into the fold at the later stage. Overall then, uh, as regards the effective functioning and efficient functioning of the EU, the eye can actually ultimately strengthen the cohesion of the EU and move it forward. Second bag of um, benefits is that it respects legitimate diversity. So the eye very much has been acknowledged as a way of protecting and respecting legitimate diversity and different national democratic traditions. It does not impose the same decision on all the states when actually national preferences might diverge when there are some member states that do not wish to integrate in a specific policy. 
It also enables the implementation of different policy choices according to different national and local preferences. So again, in that sense, by enabling, by respecting legitimate diversity, it actually stabilizes European integration in times of growing Euroscepticism. One could also say, third, that the eye promotes fairness because it does allow to um, proceed in different way when the conditions aren't the same for all. One could say that it is unfair to treat unequals equally. Universality of, of law, most of all, may work on paper, but in reality, it can actually deepen the cleavages within the EU and between member states. So it is not always the best idea to apply the same laws universally across the member states. Some countries may be affected particularly strongly by certain measures, or they might be unable to comply with uh, certain policies and, and laws um, because they lack the economic capacities. And so because equal law imposed under unequal conditions can deepen inequality, allowing DI may actually help create equality in the long term and thereby support also integration. So DI in that sense fosters equality by acknowledging that uniform rules and policies may deepen rather than overcome inequalities. However, there are also a number of risks of DI. Not all of them will always materialize, but they do exist as well as not all the just sketched potential benefits also don't always materialize. So again, let's begin by uh, starting to, to look at um, how DI might work against the efficient functioning of the EU. Before I was talking about how it might promote efficient functioning, now there are some ways in which it might work against the efficient functioning of the EU. And so the I, one could say, doesn't take into account the effects of national policies on the EU more broadly. Um, so if, if a member state does not participate or several member states do not participate in a policy, they will not necessarily um, look at how their non-participation affects the effective functioning of that policy for the remaining member states. If decisions are made among a small group of members, the incentives also goes down to find the overarching compromise between all the member states, which are necessary to address big issues. So if you have groups of um, member states that participate in specific policies, then those member states will be touched in dissimilar ways uh, by those policies and their aims and uh, policy goals will as a result uh, begin to overlap ever less. And that will make it more difficult to reach a compromise eventually. So in that sense, the eye can exacerbate the problem of collective action namely of, of finding a compromise, of reaching a solution that, that works for all. It is harder to overcome those, uh, the obstacles to a common solution when member states are affected by a problem to different degrees, which is obviously what happens 
when we have differentiated integration. Also, the I sets member states on different paths of uh, institutional development. Now we know from neo-functional theory that there are um, spillover effects that are at work in European integration. And those spillover effects mean that to realize a policy functional spillover, um, one needs to integrate even more policies that are neighboring and that if kept unintegrated would create negative externalities. Therefore, it is likely that those who um, go forward and integrate a policy in a club of clubs um, will actually be moved away further even from those who do not integrate initially because they are um, the object of those spillover dynamics, both functional as well as institutional in terms of institution building. So what might have initially been a small gap between those who decide to integrate a policy and those who decide to stay out will over time become a larger gap. The eye also creates legal and institutional fragmentation. I've already just spoken about one way it creates institutional fragmentation, namely by accentuating the differences, um, the different institutional paths on which the eye sets member states that do not participate in the same policies. But the eye can also exacerbate legal fragmentation within the EU, posing the risk of an unmanageable constitutional chaos and a subsequent undermining of the EU's legal authority. If the same institutions do not apply anymore to all member states across policies, but if some institutions are created for specific policies that are more integrated than others. The I can also lead to the creation of A and B class citizens uh, and states in the Union, uh, which is very much a concern in Central and Eastern member states um, between those groups of citizens that have integrated a specific policy and therefore enjoy a specific set of rights and others that haven't integrated a policy and therefore do not enjoy those rights. Something that uh, you find illustrated in the context of Schengen, for instance. Finally, um, the I can create a fragmented economic and regulatory environment for business operating across the entire EU. When some member states are participating in a policy and others aren't. Um, that makes it more difficult for businesses to operate across the EU rather than just in a few select member states. A third risk of the eye is that it can create or reinforce domination. Now, it can create domination by undermining the conditions for democratic self-rule through non-participation or self-exclusion from decision-making bodies. This is particularly obvious for non-member states that participate in some EU policies, such as Norway or Switzerland, which participate in the single market, but uh, are not represented in council meetings where those policies are regulated, and which as a result suffer from a lack of representation and influence over those policies to which they are subjected all the same, of course, by their own free choice. There is, uh, as regards um, uh, 
member states and their differentiated integration into specific policies such the euro or schengen or defense policy uh, mixed evidence as to whether the differentiation um, between member states that do not participate and those that do participate actually do suffer from a decreased influence in Brussels. There is some research that suggests that is the case. Um, member states who opt out of specific policies will suffer from decreased influence, but there's also some evidence uh, that suggests that is not the case. However, it can, um, all the same, whether that is the case or not, allow an inner group of member states to impose its will on others, those who participate in all the policies, as opposed to those who participate in, in fewer policies, and condemn newcomers to an inferior status. So it can lead to a situation where the power of those member states that participate in all the policies is strengthened and, and comes to dominate um, the, the course of integration overall. And, and this, of course, also then strengthens their, their negotiation position. Those member states who integrate in all policies will find they have a stronger negotiation position, bargaining power, when it comes to negotiating new deals, uh, as opposed to those who um, are not participating in all policy areas and therefore will not be able to talk about those policies um, in which they do not participate. The eye may also create or reinforce divisions. So before I spoke about fragmentation, legal fragmentation and domination. Now it is about divisions. And this is perhaps a bit a, a softer notion than legal um, fragmentation, which is a more a, a harder notion of law uh, fragmentation. So the eye can, can weaken mutual trust between states especially if it's accompanied by a narrative of ins and outs, insiders, outsiders, us versus them, pioneers versus latecomers, all these kind of narratives, they can create yeah, an, an us versus them dynamic, which can promote a perception of distance by means of a negative demarcation. Um, in that sense, the I can deepen apparent divides such as those between the East and the West or those between the, those states that participate in the Eurozone and those states that do not participate in the Eurozone. The eye can also bring about a discursive strengthening of national belonging and identity and as a result weaken European identity. And this can actually then lead to centrifugal tendencies as opposed to the centripetal tendencies I mentioned earlier when I started talking about the benefits of, of the eye. And it's a point that, that can be illustrated with the example of the UK, uh, who uh, negotiated a number of opt-outs uh, over, over, several, over several years, of several decades, in fact, of integration, um, which one could claim has strengthened its um, national identity discourse and weakened its, its European um, identity. Furthermore, the eye can also undermine solidarity between member states. 
Why is that? Because it does create opportunities for some member states to impose negative externalities on others, as well as conversely, new opportunity to exploit others by free riding on the provision of their positive externalities. It also risks promoting an understanding of the EU as a purely transactional arrangement, thereby reducing solidarity amongst the member states. If every member state just uh, decided that they will just participate in what is best for them in terms of economic gain, then solidarity also becomes much more loose and depends on, on the goodwill of member states and whether they accept um, they want to help another member state uh, should, should that state be in, in need of help. And again, this can be um, illustrated with the example of the UK, uh, which for instance, opted out of the rescue measures in the context of the Euro crisis. It, it did not want to be part of uh, the help that the EU provided to those states um, who were particularly struggling um, with the debt crisis. So such a purely transactional relationship is very fragile in times of crisis. This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Grants Agreement number 870789. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents, which reflects the views only of the authors, and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may have been made of the information contained therein.